Hello everyone, welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're glad that you're joining us today. We look really political today. It's going on with the camera. <laughs> welcome, A Reason for Hope. Uh, in case this is your first time with us, is an hour long live broadcast. We're live with you on multiple platforms online and it's all about your questions on the Bible. You can send in your questions through those platforms or the chat functions that's associated with those uh, platforms that you're joining us on and I will be receiving those questions and throwing them out here to our guests today and we will find the answers to those questions in God's Word, the Bible. So if there's like a verse or passage of scripture you would like explained a bit more, something that's confusing to you, maybe uh, you have a question on what the Bible says about certain lifestyles or choices or directions or things going on in the world, something even on a personal level, something you're going through, maybe someone you're, you're ministering to and you'd like some scripture to be able to share with them. Um, maybe other religions and worldviews as they relate to Christianity and the Bible, anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, as long as it's uh, something that's sincere, and as long as you know that the answers are going to come from the Bible as accurately as we possibly can with the Lord's <laughs> help today. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host. Like I say, I'll be there with you in those platforms receiving your questions. I'll be going over those in just a moment. With us today, we have Sean Richards and Bo Willette. They've switched seats trying to confuse me. I don't know what's going on. It's all out of order. That's right. I'm losing control. He's sitting <laughs> in my seat. Be, I wanted to be really far this time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yes. Yep. It's very cool, though, to be over here. Yeah, you like on, it? On this what's side. It like? yeah. What's it like over it's, there? Um, How's the weather? You know, the beach is right here. <laughs> Just off camera. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're on the beach. We're at our beach house. That's right. I'm going to go Here in Tucson, this. Arizona. That's right. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. It's yeah. good to be on. Yep, it's good. Thank you. I didn't know if you were joining us, so yeah. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you both for, for uh, making the time to be with us. We certainly appreciate it. We're looking forward to uh, your questions. We never know where the show's going to go. As I say, it's guided along by your questions, so certainly be brave and, and send them those in as long as it's a sincere question there's no dumb question at all as i mentioned a reason vote is a live broadcast we're with you monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m um, here in tucson arizona mountain standard uh, time of course you can join us all around the world through the wonders of the internet it's an outreach of calvary christian fellowship here in tucson if you're in the tucson area and looking for somewhere to fellowship you're more than welcome to come and check us out we have three sunday morning services and we have a wednesday evening service we're a calvary chapel affiliated church uh, we teach through the bible verse by verse chapter by chapter book by book uh, that's how we like to do things around here so um, we have lots of events going on you can check out our website again calvarychristianfellowship.com is our website calvarychristianfellowship.com uh, but if you go there as well you we, we're streaming live follow that live tab uh, the watch live tab and that will take you to our live page or you can type in ccftucson.online.church that will take you directly there as well you'll see the video there as we're live right now you can sign in with a username and there's a chat function where you can send in your question when we're off air you'll see a countdown to the next time we're going to be on air and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events so you won't have to miss anything like i say monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m we do a reason for hope this show and then we have uh, services as well that we stream live and other events as well men's breakfasts and and most of our events we do we try to stream live so check us out there uh, calvarychristianfellowship.com we're on facebook as well facebook.com slash ccf tucson or just search for calvary christian fellowship at tucson we'd appreciate it if you would like and share and all that good stuff and that's another way you can send us your question in the chat function that's on the video i'll be checking that as well as we go along 
We have an app for your mobile device. Um, once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for us in your app store. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. You can download that and watch us on your mobile device. And we have a channel on Roku and on Apple TV as well. So add us in your channel store. You can watch us on your, your big TV, your big screen at home. Just blow us up there, right there in your, uh, in your living room. What a wonderful treat that would be for you. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. A Reason for Hope there on YouTube. Uh, that live tab, if you go there anytime we've been live, it archives there for you. So if you missed a show or you want to recap on a question or anything like that, that's a great place for you to go. We upload questions of the week and things like that as well. So A Reason for Hope there on YouTube. Once again, appreciate if you would like and subscribe. That all helps us spread this uh, ministry and the notification bell. If you click on that, you'll get a little notification when we're live so you won't have to miss anything. Uh, senior pastor here, Scott Richards. He's been out this week. He'll be back with us next week. He's on Twitter, Scott R for H. That's Scott letter R number four letter H on Twitter. He posts all kinds of things on there, some funnies and shenanigans, uh, but also just commentary on world events and things going on um, in the world and the, uh, the Middle East, especially as it um, relates to biblical prophecy and end times and all that kind of stuff. So it's something that might interest you. Follow along with Scott on Twitter, Scott R4H. Uh, that would be great. We're on Rumble as well. We're not live on Rumble, but we post videos there. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. You'll find us on Rumble if you're on that platform. And then we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope spelled out at gmail.com is our email address. We uh, receive questions there too. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome if you're joining us on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of the other radio affiliates. Drive safely if you're on your drive time. Uh, keep in mind that on the radio, we're not live with you. Uh, you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, uh, usually like yesterday's show. Um, so keep that in mind. But use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll try and get to that question on our next show. And uh, consider joining us on one of the other live platforms when it's safe for you to do so. So whatever platform you found us on, we're glad you're out there. Please do send your questions in. Get them in early. We'd love to parcel out the time for that, and we're looking forward to seeing where the show goes today well Bo you're here yes would you like to pray here (laughs) would you like to pray for us yeah absolutely that'd be great yeah appreciate it father we thank you that you are a holy God and uh, Lord we look forward to your kingdom coming Uh, your will would be done and Jesus we love you for your wonderful work for us we thank you for the blood that was shed for us and we thank you for the resurrection and we pray that you would now use us through the work of your Holy Spirit that is in us, and may your word come alive, not only to us, but to many people uh, that are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, a question to get us kicked off here. Um, give me a chance to catch up on the social media, see what's going on with the questions coming in. But question from Brittany. Uh, we have a lot of questions like this. So, uh, regarding the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law and that kind of thing. Do we need to keep the Sabbath day because it's in the Ten Commandments? Is keeping a Sabbath something that God requires us to do? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because people who are Sabbatarians, if you will, uh, make a special emphasis on this being a requirement for salvation because of passages where Jesus states, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you? They would then read into that, mm. obeying the Ten Commandments, and then, of course, 
uh, dismissing other obvious things like the idols they have in their life. They would put a special emphasis on the things that they can keep and say, well, if Christians aren't obeying the Sabbath, they're not doing what Jesus commanded them, they're not real Christians. They call him Lord, but he will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. Mm -hmm. This is how the argument goes. Now, all well and good, but when it comes to how we ought to handle Christian conduct, Obviously, Christian is an intentional title, originally an insult, but an accurate one, where we're trying to emulate the example of Christ as the law, in, or not just the law, but the word made flesh. So if there's any revelation of what a godly life is going to be like, it was not only instructed by him, in which he did affirm, he said in Matthew chapter 5, did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, but we also note in that fulfillment there are certain things that are fulfilled not just by his example, but also through, note this, through his finished work on the cross. We believe that the Sabbath is one of those things. When it comes to not doing any strenuous labor or work on the Sabbath, we can apply it in a very broad context and acknowledge the existence of a weekend. Uh, that's a Judeo-Christian thing. Sunday was the day that Christians gathered to remember Jesus' resurrection, and then of course the Sabbath was from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So especially here in the West, we assume that or, uh, Saturdays and Sundays are days off. That's kind of where that comes from, and if that's the extent of it, then more power to you. But if we adopt the mindset that I am not Christian unless I obey the Sabbath, that I observe a day of rest in a special religious significance, um, it would be in direct contradiction to Scripture. Paul the Apostle said in uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So when we're talking about Jesus fulfilling these things, that they're fulfilled through him, uh, other passages would note the same principle, that he is our peace, that he is our rest, and that we, the author of Hebrews said, should enter into that rest mm -hmm. rather than to subject ourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. All concerning things which perish with using, but you, you get the point. So the idea or the mistake, the false teaching of legalism, that we're right with God because of the things that we do, is what Paul's talking about. <coughs> One of the earliest false teachings in the church was called uh, Judaizers, or this idea of if I don't observe Jewish customs, then I can't worship the Jewish mm. Messiah. That was resoundly put to rest at the First Council of Jerusalem, recorded for us in Acts, where they just read through the scriptures and realized, oh yeah, non-Jewish people are not only allowed to worship the Jewish Messiah, but that the Old Testament prophet said this was going to happen. Mm. As far as conduct is concerned, James, the leader in the early church, and Jesus' half-brother, made a special point of emphasis in saying, just abstain from sexual immorality, food offered to idols, and if you do these, you do well. So those were the outward things that were just not to be a stumbling block to your fellow Hebrews, people who had a Jewish descent and believed in the Jewish Messiah. Those who, of course, weren't of Jewish descent could still believe in the Jewish Messiah, and they didn't have to observe Jewish customs, just ethics. So the question then going back to all of this is regarding the Sabbath. Does it save you? No. Does it unsave you if you don't observe it properly? No. When it comes to 
how we observe it, we understand that he is our rest, that the fulfillment of the Sabbath was to give us rest from a works-based relationship with God. And if that's your attitude and mindset, then uh, the extent in which you observe your weekends is between you and the Lord. The best way to, I think, balance this out is if someone's strongly convicted about this, says, I want to set aside a day for the Lord, not just to rest, but to pursue my relationship with him, which was what it was intended to be, then more power to you. One man esteems one day above another, but the passage goes on to say, one man esteems every day alike, let each be convinced in his own mind. That's in the book of Romans. So if you have a conviction to observe the Sabbath before the Lord in a particular way, make sure it's between you and the Lord and not held against in particular, but also held for other believers to follow your example. Mm. Secondly, don't think that you observing this makes you more right with God than those that don't. And then, of course, if it uh, gets down to contention that observing a Sabbath as a substitute or in addition to Christ is heresy. That's a direct false teaching and should be repented from. Mm-hmm. So there's ways this can be abused, also ways it can be used for the glory of God. Just make sure your attitude is seeing Jesus as the focus, not others as being inferior to you. That's, right. that's the principle. Yeah, it makes sense. Anything to add to that, Bob? I was going to add a, a passage in Mark 2.27 where Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And you might want to read Mark chapter 2 in this section, because this is one of those sections where the Pharisees accuse Jesus and his disciples um, of breaking the Sabbath. And this was common, and it's kind of interesting. The question is, is should we keep the Sabbath? And And it's a neat question, because if you read the Gospel accounts, one of the accusations against Jesus was that he broke the Sabbath. And which, he didn't. <laughs> which is really weird, right? It, it's like, um, should we keep the Sabbath? Well, people in Jesus' day thought he broke the Sabbath. And, and so Jesus says this amazing statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says, hey, the Sabbath is supposed to be a delight, a blessing, not a burden. It's not supposed to be something that's a burdensome type of thing. And so, and the other thing he's, he talks about in this section is that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying is that I'm the creator. I'm the creator of the Sabbath. And he's claiming his deity in this section, by the way, saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and so he has a right to do what he wants to do on the Sabbath. Now, this is important, I think, for to answer that question, do we keep the Sabbath? Because the answer, like, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. It's the same thing uh, Sean's saying. It's just kind of in a little different way. And that is, yes, you need to keep the Sabbath. But it's not like what you think. And and thing is, is the Pharisees thought keeping the Sabbath meant one thing, but they were wrong. They were mm-hmm. totally wrong about it. And Jesus had to correct them on how they were viewing, quote, keeping the Sabbath. And what I mean by, yeah, you got to keep the Sabbath, meaning just what Sean said. We, we enter into the rest by trusting in Jesus. That's how we enter into the Shabbat, the rest. And that is something we do as Christians every day. 
we enter into the rest that Jesus has provided us. You cannot be saved without entering into the Shabbat, without entering into the Sabbath, because Jesus yep. is our rest. And so to answer the question, do you need to keep the Sabbath? Well, yeah. Yeah, you got to keep Jesus. <laughs> you got, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, you know? Right. He is the Lord of it. He is the Shabbat, yeah. you know? Uh, he's the master of it. He's made it for us. Uh, he, he is our rest. Yeah. Uh, we enter into that rest every time, every day. Uh, obviously, when we first came to Christ, we have now, uh, you know, become a part of that, that fulfillment of the rest, of that day rest. But now we have it every day. We have an everyday rest with, with God. Uh, we're no longer under the wrath of God. We're at peace with God. Right. Uh, so now we have this wonderful rest. Yeah. Um, so I know that's a weird way maybe of answering it, or uh, but you, you have to look at it right. And again, yeah. the, the point of Mark 2 is that the Pharisees were the religious smart people of Jesus' day. Mm. And when they said, you need to keep the Sabbath, they were seeing it wrong. Yeah. They were, they were seeing the Sabbath totally wrong. And... Um, and Jesus had to correct them, right. you know. And um, so, uh, you know, our delight is the Lord, and uh, that should be an everyday delight. Yeah. You know, he is our rest. Hey, Sabbath every day, I'm down with that. Yeah, so yeah. if someone says, are you keeping the Sabbath? I go, amen. Yep. <laughs> I'm in Christ. Yeah. You know, if someone says, do you keep it, like, every Sunday? I go, I keep it Sunday, I keep it Monday, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yep. <laughs> every day is the, sh is the Sabbath. It's yep. the Shabbat. So, um, yeah. Um, so, you know, if someone asks you and kind of gives you the guilt trip, you know, like, you know, are you keeping the Sabbath? Just go one step further and say, every day, bro. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're super religious. Yeah. That, yeah. Cool. Well, great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brittany, for that, that question. Hope that helps you out with that. Uh, question from Sui. Thank you for joining us again and for your question. Uh, oh, Sui. by the way, did we say to read Hebrews chapter 4 to, the, to that caller? Brit, was it Brittany? Or? Yeah. Oh, we did? Okay. Yeah, I, I referenced it vaguely. <laughs> okay, yeah, but read Hebrews chapter 4 because okay. we keep referencing it. But yeah, yeah, New Testament book, Hebrews chapter 4. Cool. Lights it out there. Yep, the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Good stuff. Uh, Sui's question, uh, why didn't God choose Gentiles to be uh, disciples? Uh, why did God specifically choose Israel? Well, I guess the first half of the question is, why didn't God do what he did because he didn't? Yep. But if we're going to ask the question <laughs> why, uh, that wasn't the best option. When we're talking about a Gentile, it's a term that means a non-Jewish person, usually associated with someone who didn't have any connection or familiarity with the Old Testament, what we call today. But yeah. then it was just the Word of God. Uh, it still is, too. But when we're talking about the disciples, the followers of Jesus, who numbered in the hundreds, by the way, or the twelve that were specifically chosen by Jesus to be witnesses of his resurrection, all of that was to be centered around a very important principle and that Jesus was the Hebrew 
Messiah. Messiah is an intentionally Hebrew term, which means anointed one. Now, there were three kinds of anointed ones in the ancient world. Firstly, there were kings who were anointed for that purpose. They're set aside and selected and equipped by God for that. The high priest was anointed for his office, and as well, prophets were anointed for their, op- their uh, ministries. So when we're asking ourselves, okay, king, a representative of God politically, a priest, someone who intercedes for God on behalf of the nation, and vice versa, and someone who speaks as well, that's what a prophet means, a spokesman, but speaks on behalf of God to his people, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the capital A Anointed One, would be all three of these put into one. Because who better to represent God to his people than God? Mm-hmm. Who better to intercede for God and men, see Hebrews chapter 4, than God himself? And then, of course, who better to speak on behalf of God than God himself, see Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, all that in tandem is what was meant to be understood and communicated by people who would know that, who would be coming from that kind of background. That's why Hebrews were chosen first, uh, specifically set aside because God specifically poured into them more information that the world would then either believe or reject based on their testimony. So when you read in the New Testament, uh, and especially when Jesus himself said, salvation is of the Jews, that doesn't mean you have to become Jewish. It means that you are learning about how to get saved from what God did with the Jews. Now that then being said, um, you got Deuteronomy 7 up, or do you want me to nope, turn Nope, I don't in? have it up. Okay, I'll, I'll go there in a minute. Uh, regarding the second half of your question, Sui, there's a direct answer. But is there anything more you want to see on the first part before we get to that? Nope, you go, man. Okay, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, why did God choose the Hebrew people specifically and not, you know, um, Nords or Egyptians? It's because they were mighty. Yeah, that's it. Uh, No, when we're talking about the chosen people, you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and interestingly enough, if you want to know why the term chosen people came up, it wasn't to be an offhand joke and fiddler on the roof. It's intentional. In verse 6, we're told, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all peoples. That's what Bo was joking about earlier. But, verse 8, because the Lord loves you and because you would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord, and then he mentions the uh, Exodus as evidence of that. But that's it. God loved them. God still loves them. And God made promises to them that he intends to keep. Now, if Israel then is the focal head of evidence, basically, that God kept his promises to them, therefore he'll keep his promises to us, that God continued to love them even when they weren't lovable, so he'll continue to love us. On and on it goes. They were to be exhibit A of a nation that not only had a relationship with God, but would show both sides of what that relationship with God was all about, not only how it would be a curse if they knew God and rejected him, but also a blessing if knowing God they were able to receive that personally. All that then being said, though, just understand God's character hasn't changed from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He's a loving God. He's a God who chooses people. He's a God who works in the lives of people who aren't worthy of him, and that he doesn't give up on people even when they seemingly give up on him. 
But then with that being said, um, going back to the first half of the question, what makes them so special? It's nothing. God's special. What, what makes them so lovable? Nothing. God's loving. What makes them so good? Nothing. God is good. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason. That was the point in choosing this nation that shouldn't have existed, first mm-hmm. of all. Their forefather, Abraham, was not able to have a son. And then right. when he was provided a legitimate child, Isaac, that was beyond the age of childbearing. God was in this from literally the first conception of their nation. Mm-hmm. So that's why. So we yeah, yeah it, it's a really cool question. I, I love it. Who's uh, who the one? Uh, Suey. Suey, very cool. Um, I'm going to answer it a little different, and um, and I totally that's that's the that's the right that's the foundation right there. Um, um, and I'm going to say like even when you get to like the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, um, like I was reading Daniel chapter nine and verse um, twenty five. This is to a Jewish man, this prophecy is given uh, to a Jewish man named Daniel mm. when he's in a captivity in the country of Babylon. And it says, no one understand this from, uh, or it says, uh, sorry, it said 77s, this is verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people, your people. And, uh, and this is kind of how the Old Testament prophetic language is is that the prophetic calendar is in the context of the hebrew people um so daniel being a hebrew receives a prophetic vision and it's talking about if you read daniel 9 it's talking about the anointed one the messiah Mm. is going to come on the scene but the whole context is your people, the Hebrews. Yeah. And, and this is how Isaiah and Ezekiel and all those like books that you read in the Old Testament that are all, wow, man, you read them and you're just, it's so interesting, right? All this prophetic literature mm. is there. But it's all contextually about Israel and about the Jewish people. Right predominantly it's not that there's not prophecies about gentile nations there is but it's predominantly the calendar the prophetic calendar is is <coughs> all uh, about israel so we look to israel we look to the hebrew people we see what's going on in, with them and we can look at the Bible and go, oh, I can see where we're at because the Bible's spelling it out, yeah. you know, but it's all about their, if you will, history right. and their future, yeah. you know. Um, and so that's why the disciples are Hebrews, because the prophetic calendar is for the Hebrews. It's for Daniel's people, and Daniel's people are Jews, right, and so yeah, it's not for us. Yeah. The now, and that might raise another question, right? It's mm. like, well, where do the Gentiles fit in? And did you did you have that? Oh, oh, okay. There's a couple places. Yeah, it does. But I think of like I thought, <laughs> I thought you were like right there. The, yeah. the, the verbal. I, I can yeah. turn to Isaiah 40 if you want. Yeah, the but there are places where um, 
that it's very clear that God has a plan for the Gentiles. Yeah. But it's it's God working through the prophetic calendar of Israel to reach all of the world. Yeah. And this is what uh, God is doing. He's using Israel and the Jewish people, the Hebrews, to reach the entire planet. Hmm. And so Jesus is Jew because it's prophetically said that he would come from the line of Judah. And Judah was a Jew. That's where the word comes from. Right. So he, exactly. <laughs> the Jew, duh. Yeah, but uh, some people out there, I mean, I didn't know. When I was at a call-in question and answer right. shows, when I was younger, I had no clue. Yeah. You know? So, you know, Judah is where we get the term Jew, mm-hmm. and Jesus is from that line. And so, so all of the prophetic calendar is about the Jews. Mm-hmm. God will reach the Gentiles. And... But he is going to reach him through the Jews, through the Hebrews. And so Jesus is Jew. The apostles, the 12 apostles are Jewish. The early church is Jewish. And and then there's this strange phenomena in the New Testament where Gentiles start coming to Christ. They start getting saved underneath the Jewish Messiah. Yeah. And it, and it becomes actually a controversy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big it's a big to do. Yeah. You know, in the book of Acts, yeah. chapter 15. Yeah, the dirty people, yeah. What? The dirty people. Yeah, the dirty people start getting saved. Yeah. And then and then there's a big controversy and and Paul goes into an incredible um uh theological uh discussion, uh, I should say, breakdown in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that discuss this kind of topic. And you can start seeing, oh, the Gentiles are an interesting group. There, there are this phenomenon. Yeah. Okay, so, but everything, all prophetic calendars based off the Jewish context. Right. And so that's, yeah. it's Daniel. Yeah, I, that's why I read the Daniel passage, for your people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's why the genealogies and things like that, right? In the Old Testament, that's right. That's why they're important. Important. That's Not right. Just like oh, it's just the names. Why? You know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and throughout the Old Testament, see, you keep getting these these revelations, further revelation of who the son's going to be. On page three of the Bible, we know it's going to be a son is going to conquer Satan, and it just keeps. We keep getting more revelation on who this son's going to be as it goes on. Right, right. It narrows, 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 narrows yeah. down. Yeah. And, and so it's very cool. Yeah, yeah, it is great. Okay. Thanks for laying that out. That's that's a great discussion. Uh, Sui, thank you uh, for that question. Hope that helps you out. That was that was really cool. A uh, question from Yari, a, a two part question. Uh, he has a question about the new heaven and earth. His question is, who will we reign over during the new heaven and earth? And then he has a question also about uh, animals. Will there be um, new animals in heaven? Uh, will God create new animals we've never heard of or never seen? So first of all, who will we reign over during the new heaven? Well, we don't want to argue new about this earth. because we will sound a lot like the disciples. Right? <laughs> yeah, <is that laughs> I'm right? going to reign over you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> who will be the greatest? <laughs> who will be the greatest? Yeah. Sean, how would you answer that it one? We'll go by hair length. Oh, 
they had the right understanding, just the wrong timeline. They yeah. realized there wasn't going to be a kingdom until the king got his crown. They, uh, their attention was on themselves, not on Jesus. But the fact is the disciples understood there will be a hierarchy, a distinguishing between people who'd be given charge over certain others and those who would be under certain others' authority. Um, will reign over each other, but the idea of that being abused or unpleasant to you is working with the assumption that we'll still be fallen sinful people. The new heaven and the new earth won't begin until we're all glorified into the image of Christ. So just note that as some uh, assumptions to plug in before we start asking other questions like, how do I know I won't uh, fall and create a new, uh, you know, earth like this one, and then you get into Mormonism or whatever. No, it's going to be before we're given that kind of responsibility as representatives of Christ over what we showed in faithfulness in this life, that will, of course, be reflected in what we do in the next. But the idea of, well, I guess how it was phrased, I'm still having trouble with the question, but the first half, I think, who we reign over is each other. But if you understand that we will be like him, First John chapter 3 and verse 3 says, then you would have to work with the assumption, okay, would Jesus fall? Would Jesus create a whole new mess for someone to have to die and res- rise from the dead in order to redeem and so forth? Or are we looking at a perfect kingdom that will, like we're told in the Old Testament, never end? And that's the point. All of us under Jesus will be in leadership and in direction over each other. For what purpose? We're not told, but Jesus will be there, so I'm stoked already. Yeah. Um, what was the second half to the question as far as it was translated? Yeah, will there be, uh, will God create uh, brand new animals that we've never seen or heard of? Will there be new creatures in the new heaven? Does the Bible speak anything about that? No. 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 <laughs> no, okay, I'm no. going to take a crack at this. Okay. So I was thinking of a passage in the book of, um, I think it's Corinthians, where it talks about that um, we will judge angels. Um, and it's talking about us uh, just judging properly on the earth. That's the context. Exercising authority. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so Paul's critique to the Corinthian church is like, man, you guys should judge righteously amongst yourselves like don't you know you're going to judge all the er- right. uh, all the angels and uh and it's kind of a one of those like okay paul go a little more go yeah. a little more you know but he doesn't he just mentions that we will uh judge angels um what angels will we judge um i don't know maybe i don't know it doesn't say fallen angels uh, obviously it sounds more plausible to me mm. maybe um but um, um, but we're not told, you know. Yeah. But but Paul does declare in that uh, I think it's First Corinthians six passage yeah. that we will be it's ju- an, taking each other to court. That section, right? Yeah, taking each other Christians to court. Christians taking each other to court, right. and don't you know your judge? Yeah, yeah. So that section. Um, so I look at that and I go, hey, you know, there's an interesting thing about human beings. We're made in the image of God, and we're d- redeemed by Christ, and and and. That's awesome. We don't see angels made in the image of God. Uh, we don't see angels being redeemed by Christ. Um, right. We see that God has, uh, I think there's another passage in the book of Hebrews that discusses us being um, 
made lower mm-hmm. than the angels in reference to Christ becoming like man, but now is above them Up- all. And if we'll be like him, then we'll be above them all. And mm-hmm. there, yeah, there's like this uh, in the redemption of Christ, there is a redeeming of human beings to their rightful place as mm-hmm. image bearers of the deity. Yeah. Uh, when I mean deity, I mean God, the Godhead. Colossians uses that word Godhead yeah. to describe the Trinity, basically. Right. Um, and so we will be image bearers of that properly once again. Okay. Um, and it'll be awesome, you yeah. know. Um, so uh, angels haven't been redeemed. Angels aren't made in the image of God. Hmm. Um, I am, and, and so there's this. There, so when we're in this place with God, this kingdom with God, we're going to be in a high position. I have no doubt that this is probably one of the reasons why Satan, our adversary, is very upset at the way yeah. the Father has designed us right. in his image and regards us and regards us yeah and has redeemed us right which again isn't from the bible that's from paradise lost but it's an it, idea it, what's mm. paradise lost it was a, a poetic overview of the fall of satan and oh. the perspective of uh, how demons would see and oh. the reasons why they would engage in i the didn't fall. even know that man i just mm. thought of it just through my reading of the scriptures just the idea that um, it made sense to me that, you know, Satan would be pretty bummed, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, at the idea of us being made in the image of God. Yeah. You know, when you're just trying to think of why is Satan so upset, you yeah. know, but um, there's a verse, uh, I don't remember what it is, but where it talks about the angels, you know, basically being in awe, watching us, seeing God's works of grace over us, right? The angels, yeah, something they want they to look in, to look into. Yeah. 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 So it's, I mean, it's fathomable that on the other, I mean, the, the demons the, and the fallen <laughs> angels are just, yeah. oh, bummed out at that. <laughs> those little, you know, those little dust mites, I think, as your dad calls us, you know, yeah. in that regard. And but to yeah. think of us being exalted to a place yeah. that's, that's in a place of aboveness of angels. Right. I mean, that would... Uh, I imagine bother Satan. But yeah, it's speculation. It's something that we, we kind of infer from a, l- a lot of uh, the biblical narrative. Um, but uh, all's we know, uh, all's I can kind of hold on to is that First Corinthians 6 passage that we will one day uh, judge angels. Right, right. You and know? we don't know, the Bible doesn't say anything about new creatures in the new, in oh, the new the heaven new and animals, and we don't really <laughs> know, right? You know, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's a cool... You know, all the creature passages that I can think of of the kingdom of God um, kind of uses creatures that we already know. Yeah. So as far yeah. as new ones, yeah. um, what is uh, that? Uh, the Liger? Is that what it's called from that movie? Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, yeah it's a real thing. It's a cross, yeah. crossbreed. Um, yeah. Now, the only animals we're told in the millennial kingdom anyway is a lion, a sheep, a wolf, and a lamb. We all know what those yeah. are. Yeah. I'm yeah. hoping for the half horse, half man. What is that <laughs> from like the oh, Rome? Centaur. Yeah, yeah, centaur, yeah. Always always loved those from a kid, but yeah. But yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I guess. Don't don't get the theogony mixed up. <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's the whole story behind those things, right, Sean? Like the 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 horse legs and uh, human bodies. Yeah, it's Greek yeah. paganism. Yeah, yeah. there's got to be a whole of the story. Titans. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I look at it like you do, Dave, where I'm just like, oh, that's so cool looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I know there's a whole a whole story yeah. behind it. 
Right. So you, know. you, you go to Ezekiel 1, that's trippy enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, thank you, Yari. Question uh, from Mike. More, more of a, a comment, um, uh, which is a sad comment, but we can make it into a question and talk about this a little bit. Mike uh, commented that um, I always worry if I'm truly saved, so mm. I have no rest. We were talking about the Sabbath. Uh, he commented during that. I worry if I'm truly saved. And so I don't have that rest. We talked about Jesus being our Sabbath uh, rest. Um, so the question is, how how can we be sure that we are saved? If, you know, being saved is very important. How can we make that uh, sure in our life? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Mm -hmm. It's John chapter 3. If we go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, quoting Joel chapter 2, it says what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you'll feel saved, not your circumstances will improve and by them you'll know you're saved. No, it's, it's a declarative statement. You will be saved. So if that's then the case, what is the metric we use for it? It's not our feelings. It's not our circumstances. It's not our uh, degree of victory of which we attained in our walks with God. We understand we're saved because we came to him on his terms. If we don't, if we've done that and we still ask questions, then there was never any hope to begin with. But because we have hope in Jesus, it's not dependent on us being good. It's about God remaining good to his promises like he's done with Israel. Yeah, it's cool. I love, um, I would love for this uh, gentleman to turn to First uh, Timothy chapter 2. And there, starting at verse 3, Paul says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, um, and, um, who wants all men to be saved, or all humans to be saved, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the question is, is do you have knowledge of the truth? You know, that would be something I would ask someone. Do you have knowledge of the truth? And he's going to break down that truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all humans, the testimony given in its proper time. Do you believe in what, who Christ is, who he claimed to be, what he did for you to redeem you? Right. This is what Jesus meant when he says that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's talking about freedom from the penalty of sin, yep. the bondage of sin. Right. We are under the wrath of God through believing in Christ. We have redemption. We have been now free from the wrath, the consequences of our sin before a holy God. But notice that Paul says, hey, um, he says, I want, you know, God wants us to come to the knowledge of this. And so you have to ask the question, do you have the knowledge of of what Sean is quoting, the, yep. you know, that he who has the son has life. Um, and, um, and, you know, sometimes we have like insecurities, like, and it sounds like he does, like where there's like, I just don't feel, you know, but this is where faith in what God says about you is more important than what we feel at the moment. Um, like I might, sometimes we don't feel like we're part of a family, you know, but you are, right. you know, um, you know, and that, 
And we have to remember that, that, you know, the scriptures tell us that we are saved. Um, and Sean was so right to say, you know, don't go off your feelings. Because yep. um, they can shift. If you say you're melancholy and you have uh, depressive traits, mm. right? You can get in a depression and you can go, well, I don't feel <coughs> saved at all. Yep. I feel very uh, separated from God, very distant from God. Um, and you can express that to God. I mean, you can certainly pray, you know, to God and say, God, I feel distant from you and things like that. Um, absolutely. We see that in the Psalms. But yeah. we have to always come back to, you know, God's love for us and what his word says about us. Right. Um, and, um, you know, uh, his, it says his thoughts towards us cannot even be counted. There are so many. Right. And I might not think that way. But that's what it says. And am I going to trust that or not? Yeah. Um, so we, you know, I would, you know, I know it's tough sometimes to push aside feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but write on a card, <laughs> put it on your refrigerator, mm. you know, all the, With cool the vegetable th- magnet. Yeah. That he who has the sun has life, yep. you know, and <coughs> just do you have the sun? Do you know the sun? Yeah, you know the sun, then you are free indeed. Yep. You are free from judgment, you know. Yep. And so do whatever it takes, uh, you know, for your, you know, in your house to surround yourself with the promises of God. Um, and that's why people in their houses usually put biblical statements, hmm. like pictures with Bible verses or things like that. It's yeah. because we want to surround ourselves with the word of God. The truth, yeah. As it says in Deuteronomy um, chapter 6. You know, so um, that's what we want to do: surround ourselves with the promises of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would just you know warn you not to get into some kind of like, oh, I have to do this and then I'll feel saved, or I do this and then I feel saved, because that's just a, you'll just keep going, you know, those directions over and over. You might feel saved, but it won't save you. (laughs) Right, right. Just like not feeling saved doesn't unsave you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it is that, isn't it? It's that focus. I mean, I could sit down and focus on myself and give you a hundred reasons why I shouldn't be saved based on my behavior or history or all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I stop and focus on Jesus, I mean, it's, it's what he did. I mean, we are insulting what he did and the, com- the, the completion of it. Uh, when we right. say we're not, it's not enough to save right, me. Right, it's, right. An in, it's an insult to what Jesus accomplished, really. Yeah, Philippians 1.6 is a great promise, right? He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Well, did he begin a good work in you? Right. You know, yeah. you can ask that question. Yeah. Did he begin a good work in you? And if he began a good work in you, it says he's faithful to complete it until yeah. the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. So do it, the question is, is am I going to trust that verse or not? Yeah. You know? Amen. Great. Well, Mike, I hope that helps you out. I hope you were... Um, stuck around to listen to that and encouraged you in that uh, question from uh, Debbie here bit of a abrupt turn to something different um, is there any biblical guidance for what we should do with our bodies after we die uh, should we bury cremate donate to science etc I guess we can't do anything with our bodies after we die because we'll be dead but I guess the people around us yeah is there biblical guidance this is a passionate question by the way yeah i mean yeah i mean yeah people really um like families can really divide over this question yeah um and i've seen this over the years where 
it is a serious deal right when someone passes away what you do with that body is very important yeah um so that's understandable it's it's your loved one you know it's it's your 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 mother your brother your sister your your child right sadly you want to do right by them that's right so is there guidance for for that it is a big big topic serious thing for sure yeah sean what are some texts that you might is there any text that says anything about you need to bury uh a whole body in the ground and that's what god really would want not as an instruction of the proper use of this physical body Um, when paul describes it it's oftentimes in a dismissal or a need in being replaced sense the most direct is second corinthians chapter five where he Mm -hmm. describes a physical body as a tent that's going to be replaced as a house and that we need to be looking forward to not the preservation of this tent but of the building up of the future house and that's also emphasized in first corinthians 3 to the same audience on the same subject where he's emphasizing your materials that you build with need to be considered but when it comes to actual i guess practical examples is there a positive instance people usually first look to as they should in christianity jesus who is whole buried but he didn't stay there he uh, only person to rent a (laughs) grave intentionally that's the ideal yeah (laughs) that's definitely the ideal um there's of course people who will be taken to heaven in a moment in the twinkling of an eye without experiencing physical death who read that in first corinthians or first thessalonians 4 and first corinthians 15 but um usually when people shy away from cremation it's also by that negative association Uh, for instance in the book of Second uh, Samuel, when, or actually the end of First Samuel, mm-hmm. when King Saul's body was cut into pieces after being mutilated and so forth, pagans are going to pagan, but they presented it as a victory trophy over Israel over a bunch of their sh- pagan shrines. Mm-hmm. And the people, this is important, the people who he had basically done right by very early on in his reign, this very wicked king by the name of Nahash, whose name means serpent, by the way, no, the themes there. Uh, threatened to cut off all of their thumbs and gouge out their right eyes so they wouldn't be able to handle weapons properly and wouldn't rebel against him. Saul's first act as king was to come to the defense of his nation's borders. And those people found his body parts, brought them all together, cremated them, and then put them in an ossuary or a bone box. I gave you all that background information, not just because I like to make you uncomfortable, but because of the idea that when someone was being put in this position, they say, oh, King Saul, that was a bad guy. I don't want to be disposed of like him. Well, that was a sign of respect from the people who did it. The reason why they cremated the body was because, well, it wasn't uh, exactly something that the, uh, what's the word for the people who dress up the body for the memorial? Oh, uh, embalmed. More like, yeah, morticians. Yeah, the mortician. Yeah, yeah. They, they can't fix that. You can yeah. pump them through with a bunch of chemicals. He's literally a Jenga piece. So that's yeah. what was happening there. It wasn't a negative example. They tried to honor him. The reason they cremated it wasn't because, oh, that's pagan. It's because, yuck. Now, if we're going to take another step back and go, well, what about uh, other instances of people who maybe didn't, get the chance to be buried are they being dishonored by that what well, was intended to be an insult but we don't have to take it that way uh, the 
usual examples you would give are regarding people who were martyred for their faith. And you can go to Fox's Book of Martyrs and noting not any of the apostles, really, with the exception of maybe three, got a decent burial because they were well outside of Jewish borders. If, on the other hand, we're going to stay within Scripture and note, well, what about this example? What about that example? Again, Saul is the most direct, and it's not intended to be a dishonoring thing. And if you note how Hebrews disposed of uh, physical bodies, uh, even today you can go to uh, the area just north of Galilee where they have on display a sarcophagus. And it's not like, you know, Tarak Moon or anything like that. It's literally a life eater. It was a limestone sort of slab where it would as a result of all of the um, chemicals and stuff that they'd embalm you with, accelerate decomposition in mm. the same way that cremation does. It would basically just cause your flesh to rot away very quickly. They'd gather your bones after maybe a year, and then they'd store it in what I referred to as a bone box earlier in a family ossuary, and that was the tomb. It was a storage for all of your family's bones, mm. small boxes, not in necessarily whole plots. So even in a whole burial situation, it's going to eventually result in what cremation would do in time, because from the dust we were made, going back to Genesis, to the dust we shall return. So the idea of accelerating that process isn't disrespectful unless it's immediate. But if we're, work your imagination as to what I mean by that. But when we're talking about, oh, you can't cremate, that's unchristian. No, that claim is not biblical. You need to be hold buried, because that's what Jesus commanded. And that's what happened to Jesus, but he didn't stay buried. That's a misrepresentation of the passage, the example. So when it comes to what's best in that situation, and Bo, you can rebuke me if we want. When it comes to the best thing by your loved one, I think it would be what's also in the best financial and emotional interest. Mm -hmm. I said both financial and emotional interest of the loved ones. Mm -hmm. If they have this conviction of wanting them to be whole buried, then by all means. It's not sinful if you do. It's not unrighteous if you don't. If, on the other hand, whole burial and the reservation of those plots gets expensive and you just want to cremate them and store them in more of, you know, the, the ash pile, then that's going to be fine as well. I, I'm of the conviction, you know, just throw me in the backyard and let the animals benefit from it, but that's <laughs> not going to be conducive to my mom's emotions. So I'll just leave that between you guys. Hopefully my mom won't have to manage that she'll probably go before I do but the point being made is this if we're in the situation those are the two things to keep in mind neither of which is the biblical answer mm. it's the emotional and the financial well-being of those left behind it's not a sin to cremate or to donate to science or to be whole buried neither is it more righteous to do one than the other yeah. how does it play into I mean what's what's the eternal purpose of this this tent this flesh I mean more you know we're the dead will be raised if we get cremated will we then not have a body to be raised in or is right. there anything any eternal um, consequences to that if you have a God who created the entire universe out of nothing I think he can find where the pieces need to go yeah yeah and this is the cool thing about um, you know the creation of of uh, Adam you know it's from the dust <clears throat> and so God obviously can create from dust yeah you know um, and, uh, y you know, it, it's passionate. It's a passionate, um, like I say, uh, uh, topic because people have a lot of cultural yep. hangups with it. Right. Um, 
and uh, you know I think Sean used a word that's really important and that's honor and I think a lot of families are trying to honor their loved one uh, the best way they know how mm. um, and, and that kind of thing but when it comes to God uh, you know we we serve a mighty God a powerful God and uh, if someone dies in the ocean or someone dies on the moon um, God is able to raise them from the dead yeah you know no matter where they're at yeah you know that's good yeah that's good Get them back. Uh, bullet question real quick let's see if we have time here uh, question from Bob are altar calls biblical or a biblical concept when we do an altar call when you call people forward to receive the Lord is that a biblical thing um, we've only got like a minute all of the principles in which usually an altar calls formatted uh, publicly confess that Jesus is Lord invite him into your heart because he's risen from the dead I invite you to be my Lord and Savior those are all affirmations straight out of Scripture all pertaining to salvation so if what you mean by are they biblical is in the sense that this format that you call people up and play you know whatever chords gonna make their emotions uh, come just as you are yeah, yeah. And all that <laughs> stuff um, no that's not biblical but if on the other hand the things that an altar call are calling you to do yeah are efficable for salvation to cover the most in the fewest amount of words probably canceled it out by that explanation but I make the point it's based on that <laughs> what I'm affirming Jesus is Lord how he proved it his resurrection and I'm inviting him to come into my heart all out of the Bible it is biblical right so it's a way to to present all of those things all those biblical concepts of salvation and how that takes place basically yep. and a nice little chalupa unless yes exactly very good very culturally sensitive that's it. That's the end of our show. Bo, thank you. Sean, yeah, thank you. Thank Great you. show today. Thank you for all your questions. We'll be back again, Lord willing, tomorrow, same time, same place. And we hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thanks again for joining us on Reason for Hope. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.